welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada. The Maple Leafs might suck at hockey. Really good at golf is to get to practice so much in May and June. And probably the world's largest choke artists. But... Cheer you up today. We're joined by Peter Norman, Vice President, Chief Economist at Altus Group. Peter is a staple on BNN Bloomberg with both his insights into real estate market and natural debonair look for TV presenting. Unlike our Ray here, who should stick to radio or very dark rooms. Earlier this year, Ray and Peter presented a Canadian state of the market webinar to the great unwashed. This podcast is a follow up to that insightful presentation by Peter and see how the market has fared since the cold months. So is it April showers? Have they led to spring flowers or are we in damp squid mode? So welcome, Peter, as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks very much. It's really nice to be uh, finally onto your esteemed podcast. And Ray, thank you for actually turning up for once. I'm trying, I'm trying to be better. Perfect. So I suppose the first obvious discussion point would be with the market constantly changed over the past couple of years, what's kind of the Coles notes and a couple of tr- big trends in residential or commercial space we've seen since you guys provided that webinar earlier on this year? Peter, if you want to throw in the first opinion. You know what? And to, to a large extent, things are kind of evolving the way we talked about and they haven't changed a tremendous amount. I mean, the economic backdrop is is certainly evolving the way that we talked about and some of those trends continue to be the trends that I talked about during that webinar continue to be prominent. We have in the Canadian market, we have, you know, still surprisingly strong employment growth and and fairly, you know, fairly disappointing economic growth, which is a, a little bit of a conundrum. And then on the housing side, we're seeing things pick up, but just at the kind of pace that we that we were kind of expecting them to do so as well. So, you know, we see housing starts being pretty steady. We see home sales now starting to pick up and prices starting to pick up a little bit in, in many markets. Uh, that's been a kind of a welcome news, I think, for the springtime. Ray, you want to f- chip in your opinion? Yeah, it, unfortunately, the commercial market has gone the way we were sort of looking at it. With, we're hoping for a little bit better activity, but definitely the first quarter investment numbers are down across Canada and that's basically due to the higher interest rates, plus a relatively uncertainty with where the U.S. is moving with its interest rates. Owners and investors are still sticking to the sidelines, and they're still looking at trying to figure out where that price discovery point is. So investors are naturally expecting higher cap rates, and and owners still want to maintain a, a certain level of value for, for their type of assets. And for for office side, there's no big surprise with the mountain supply, especially with Vancouver and Toronto with increased office availability rates. And we're continuing to see that struggle with back to the office. But we are are also seeing an increase in companies bringing in at least back into the office two to three days. So that's still out there whether or not we're going to see a big shift in people back into the office. So, so far, the investment market remains relatively weak, but the office fundamentals are starting to stabilize a little bit, and and the other, especially industrial multifamily, continues to do well. So I'm going to segue then, because this was a later question we discussed. 
So if we go on about the office side of things and industrial, basically, look, office is office dead. Is it? A, and whoa, 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 and then industrial has been the golden child. So when does industrial die too? <laughs> well, <clears throat> office is not dead. The downtowns are coming back alive to to a certain extent. You are seeing increased number of people in the in the sidewalks, and th this goes right across the markets, even with Vancouver and Toronto, which are which have longer commutes for for workers. But companies are still trying to reassess how much space they actually need, and they're trying to hedge their bet to a certain extent. Still deciding how much space they need to accommodate the, the two to three days, but as well as not give too much space that if there's an upsurge and people coming back to the office, they don't want to be caught shorthanded with, with not enough office space. On the industrial side, you know what, it's, it's the rents, right? Last few years, we, we, we saw the story of 20 to 30% increase in new leases. Now the expectation is about half that, but still, between nine and sixteen percent remains relatively healthy. But if anything, there's that that push that that with increase in in costs, especially on the land components in Vancouver and Toronto. Hey Marlon, hey Marlon on that office thing, yeah. I'm just going to sort of say something like, you know, like I just like Ray, I also am kind of like optimistic that people are going to come into the office, you know, a few days a week and sidewalks and so on and so forth. We're going to see some activity. But unfortunately, on this piece, you know, as with many things, the math kind of gets in the way of the optimism. And, you know, it may well be that we're iterating towards a much more solid hybrid kind of situation where people are in the office quite a bit and maybe it might be two or three days a week it might be four days a week and in, in in many companies etc but in the end office users are going to have to trim back ultimately trim back the space many already have and and many more still will trim back the amount of space that they require for the quantum of employment that they have of course everybody's still growing but nonetheless trim back for the for the quantum of employment that they have and when you're in a country like Canada that has 700 million square feet of investment grade office right now, and even if everybody trims back just 5% or 10% in the end, that's a, that's a lot of surplus space emerging over the years ahead. So I think it's more of a kind of a long-term burn. And, you know, it doesn't mean necessarily negative, overly negative consequences for the office market. It really right now is a, is a matter of what space is kind of you know becoming functionally obsolete in this new in this new kind of math this new world this new these new realities and how quickly are we going to figure out how to reuse that space or redevelop it into into higher and better uses and so really it's a matter of how how fast we make some of those decisions and and move forward yeah and i know we have an upcoming podcast we're going to look at that conversion side but just moving off from like just moving off from that subject in terms of office and the risks and stuff, we've seen bank fragility, especially down in the US, being a very large discussion. And that seems to have eked up into Canada recently, obviously, with banks' exposure. Do we see an impact on the capital markets transactions and stuff with the fact office is going to be used less? Therefore, does the value get impacted? Does that then increase bank fragility? Because obviously there's a lot of loans against these assets that are decreasing in use. Yeah, and yeah, 
the impact in Canada, and if you you have to sort of segment the office market. The the A AAA buildings are still doing okay to a certain extent, even though they they have reached for the for the most part double digit office availability rates, right? And and rental rates are are have definitely flattened. If in a lot of the cases, especially with the B and C space, the rents, net effective rents have have dropped. And we are seeing on the capital market side, especially with our investor trend survey, that cap rates either have or anticipate to further increases for the office front. But it's not just for the office front. We're also seeing that on the on the industrial and the multi-res side, which are two investment assets continue to be in demand from, from investors. So overall, on the capital market side, I think we've been hit with the interest rates as well as definitely with the softening of some rents on the office side. But again, I think it's the overall trend with respect to trying to figure out what that price discovery points between investors and, and sellers in the marketplace. And, and there probably will be a little bit more fallout because I don't think we're out of it in the U.S. in the way some other sort of banks or that are perhaps on the on the fence of whether or not they're actually going to make it through, especially if there's anticipated further interest rates. But it does it, it, it is a concern on the Canadian side, but we have a little bit more stability based on the on the stock and quality of the assets we have up here. I guess I'll just say on, you know, in terms of interest rates, I mean, the banking crisis that has been evolving over the last couple of months in the U.S. and, and internationally certainly has probably put the damper on expectations for higher rates, at least in North America here. The Bank of Canada now is seems to be on the sideline and has been for the, la for the last couple of months. And even though the Fed moved last week, largely thought to be the, la the final move, the final upwards movement anyway, during this cycle. So I think we'll probably see those bank, those policy rates kind of somewhat steady, I think, either not a strong expectation that they're going to be unwound anytime fast, maybe near the end of the year, going to next year. But I think the most consensus now is that we're not going to see rates going any higher. And I would say that that cycle got capped off a little bit faster, perhaps, than what we were previously thinking about, in part because of the evolving banking crisis. So there's silver linings, I suppose, as well, that comes through that. Yeah, the, the, the challenge with that, Peter, is with investors that there's there's a little bit more of a lag with even with the stability of, of rates. So even if we see rates drop, you know, beginning of next year sometime, that the, 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 the reposition of assets, I think, happened over and continues to happen over the last two or three years. Right. And whether or not companies and portfolios need to still rebalance their positions. Yeah. And, and that that was a lot of the activity that we saw in the last 18 months. So going forward with more strategic type of, of acquisitions that uh, even from the land front continue, which is typically the most active, is, is lagging somewhat in the marketplace, especially from a pricing standpoint as well. So if we look at a macro level, because interest rates, we kind of wandered into that. So what's the sort of the largest concerns Pete was seeing in the market, other than the fact someone just added a snowflake to our coat of arms for Canada? You know, I, I think it continues to be sort of in my, in my intro, looking at this issue of, you know, the dichotomy between employment and, and economic growth. Fourth quarter numbers came in at about zero for, for economic growth. 
for the for GDP growth, I should say, it might look like it's going to be a bit of a of a of a punch up in the first quarter based on some of the preliminary numbers that we've gotten during during that period. But we're still thinking about a kind of a very mild recession, and at least in terms of at least in terms of the way the GDP print goes over the next you know six to ten months. And 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 yet, you know, the number of jobs in Canada are sitting at about four hundred fifteen thousand higher than they were a year before. A tremendously strong number on Friday was announced that last month there's another forty one thousand jobs created in April. The job numbers continue to be fairly strong, so it's hard, it is hard to actually use the word recession, even though it's a technical it maybe a technical recession at a time when job growth continues to be very strong. But of course, you know there continues to be the kind of pressure that that brings on the the potential inflationary environment. In inflation in general, the inflation data is looking very much under control. I talked during our webinar about the different phases of inflation that that we have moved through, which include the sort of, you know, the, the run-up of inflation during some special factors, and then the fact that it's that we're in a very moderating period right now, and it has continued to be so since the webinar. We're down to, you know, four-point-something inflation right now, which is nice. But wage inflation is starting to build a little bit, and that is in part because the labor market continues to be very strong, even though the economic growth environment is is somewhat weak. So in general, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and we usually when things don't make sense, they don't go on forever. And so one thing is going to break or or the other. And, and so that kind of concerns us a little bit. What do you think about the Bank of Canada's obsession with 2% inflation rate? Does that kind of make sense in a modern environment, or is that some sort of number that they're just stuck on? Yeah, I think that it makes sense. I think that it makes sense. And and remember, it's one to three. I mean, I, I know that's that's picking hairs or whatever, but you've got this kind of band. You know, we went through a 20, roughly a 20 year period, no, 25 year period or so where we did stick within that band. I would say that was several economic cycles. I, I think the I think the the evidence is in that in absence of major diverting factors like the pandemic, central banks can probably stick handle that that puck within that fairly narrow range fairly successfully over long periods of time. So we get ourselves back down there. Remember, inflation is kind of like a little bit of, you know, is, is really like the 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 grease in the wheels or the oil in the in the car engine, right? I mean, you need a little bit of it because if you don't have any, that's that's bad. If you have deflation, that's bad. You need something in order to kind of keep the machinery moving. And too much of it just kind of creates a big mess. So one to one to three percent is usually a pretty good band. And it looks like we've been pretty successful with that in the past. So why not emulate that and get back there? So it's just a waiting game then for inflation. It's showing signs of heading in the right direction, and that's just a matter of wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's it's heading in the right direction. It's 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 uh, price inflation now is basically kind of back pricing on a on a shorter term basis is basically back where we sort of want it. Right now, the year over year numbers are still just reflecting the you know the stronger stuff from last year. So we're actually sort of seeing month over month inflation being more or less in the kinds of bands that uh, that we want. But of course, you know, I mean, you hear about all these different sorts of measures of inflation. I mean, obviously, food is important, and food, of course, is starting to come back down into reasonable ranges as well. Obviously, food and shelter are, are important for households, but you know, other other elements of the inflationary environment from an economic perspective that you know we look at and can be concerned about 
are 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 things like wage inflation because that's you know kind of creates a little bit of a little bit of a spiral on 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 economic conditions and then other things for instance like co- like construction cost <laughs> you know we haven't seen that really moderate as fast as one one might think given the 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 pullback in construction investment and and that continues to be a bit of a concern for our ability to actually you know, build the 1.5 million new homes we need in Ontario and and the millions others that we need across the country. Well, the good news is we're not going to build 1.5 million homes because we can. And construction costs are going to start coming down later on this year. Ray, did you have anything on sort of that area as a subject? Or? Well, I, I, I think Peter, Peter pretty well covered it. But it's the, it's the challenge is, is that the, the, there's a lot of discussions of the productivity, and this goes back to the, the the work from home aspect of it. But we're also, Peter, I'm not sure if you're seeing this as well, but the definition of productivity, I think, is evolving or changing. That not only is based on completion of assignments, but this is sort of the reason you need to sort of go back in with respect to exchanging ideas and the 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 the, the continue push for innovation of product and and efficiencies and, and processes. So I, I think going forward, this whole thing with that we're either near full employment, and then we also hear the sort of the tech layoffs or repositioning on some of those firms and the impact on office. But I think this whole labor thing and as well as skilled labor is going to be a challenge for us. But again, almost every week you hear about additional layoffs and cutbacks in certain aspects of the economy. Yeah, but I think, as Pete was saying, the net, it's still net growth in terms of jobs. So, yeah, you hear layoffs, but that tech worker gets to go work at McDonald's, so they still got a job. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and that's the shift. And if those tech jobs were sort of pushing the economy with stronger economic growth and reposition that lower wages, right? I'm not really sure what what that is going to do with the, the GDP growth. So what I, last point I want to talk about is, obviously, over the last few months, pop, in the last few years, population growth in Canada has been, has been an ongoing discussion. And we know, basically, McKinsey came up and said, the way to fix your economic problems, GDP growth, is let's get more people in the country. I've seen a lot of people have a very negative view on that population growth when it comes to housing. Peter, how do you sort of view that? Is it a concern from a housing point or overall it's net good, so we'll just work it out? Population growth has really exploded in, in, in the past year and a half or so. And in part of that is because the targets for landed immigrants have gone up. And that's often talked about. That's that's the that's the piece that is often referred to. And of course it is correct. But it's only gone up a certain amount. And and it's and it's and it's a logical amount in order to try to kind of keep pace with our need to replenish the labor force and all that kind of stuff. But in the meantime, we've also had this kind of explosion in kind of net temporary, what we call net temporary residents. This can be a, a grab bag of things like foreign temporary workers, foreign students, so on and so forth. And 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 this is the piece which has really kind of been exploding. But no matter, and if, and of course, it's the net number that we look at. Like it's you know, temporary residents, of course, are coming and going. But if the if the overall number is rising, that's that's still population growth. It's still growth of warm bodies in the country, and warm bodies need some place to go at night and 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 to sleep. 
And that's where the housing situation comes in. So if, you know, no matter how we're growing our population, whether it's through the good old fashioned natural means or whether it's by increasing immigration or whether it's by increasing some of our programs for foreign temporary residents, in the end, you need to have an accommodation strategy that kind of matches what your, you know, what your migration strategy is. And it does seem now as though we are addressing labor force needs and potentially, as, as Marlon, as, as you've indicated, kind of underlying economic growth needs by opening up the taps a little bit on migration. And I think all of those things are correct. I think that migration is a great way to address some of those longer term structural issues that we have in terms of replacing our labor force, et cetera. But of course, you, you know, we're, we're not matching it with, you know, increased, increased production of housing, even though we've been talking about it for quite a long time, not substantial increase of housing anyway. And I think that's going to become progressively and progressively more of an issue. Peter, what, what do you see that moving towards? Because most of the, the, the immigration comes in here, Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal. But when we look at, the, and again, I'm a big fan of that interprovincial migration stats, that you see the growth in, in Alberta and you see that growth in Atlanta, Canada, and that movement of affordability, even Southwest Ontario outside of Toronto is seeing sort of that movement of talent. Do you think that's going to position some of those secondary markets better going forward with 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 having that sort of a a more diverse more employment base especially if their population keeps moving up based on affordability of of housing or the lack of of that in the in the major markets yeah i don't i don't disagree with your premise i i think that it's it, it makes some sense that if the if if the if the overall tide is rising, that we're going to see it kind of rising in you know in both in larger markets and in smaller markets. I think that there's always going to be a kind of a natural filtering that goes on. It's a kind of a positive, a positive cyclical kind of thing in the sense that you know s smaller markets might have greater housing affordability, so you might get more shifting of of migrants. I mean, not just from abroad, but but internal migrants as well into those markets looking for more affordable housing or more affordable lifestyle. And then, you know, you build up the labor force in those areas, and then they become more attractive for business investment as well. And I mean, I, we, there have been times in Canadian history when we've seen a lot of negative economic cycles for small centers that are the exact opposite of that. And, and this might be a kind of an era where we'll see a lot more of those kinds of positive economic cycles. But in the end, we still see a majority of the of the international landings going into those sort of three major for three or four major markets, as you mentioned at the at the outset there. And and that continues to be kind of pressure cookers for housing prices in those in those markets as well. Yeah. And if we shift everybody just out of the centers, doesn't that just move the problem further out, which we saw during the pandemic with the rush to Atlantic Canada, which basically made that market unaffordable. As everyone rushes to London, it's going to make that market unaffordable. And as everyone's moved out of Vancouver into, you know, Fraser Valley, Richmond, it's basically pushed all those prices up. So ultimately, doesn't it just shift the problem from one place to another versus actually solve it, which is we don't have enough houses, irrelevant of where they are. Because I think you could argue, I mean, London's target in the recent 1.5 million homes is what, 45,000 homes over 10 years? Mm -hmm. We spoke about this time last time, Ray. Why isn't that 90,000 if we're at, to me, if you had a systematic plan where you want to put people, surely a great city like London, you'd want to grow. So you should have double the target, not just keep going as you are. 
And I think to Peter's earlier point, there's just no planning around the population. It's the obsession with the finance side of things, not necessarily some of the practicalities of accommodating that, which is why I think we're starting to, I don't know if you guys are getting, I'm getting more and more questions of why don't they just stop immigration while we catch up on housing? And obviously you can't do that, but I think that's where the frustration starts to come from now. So I think we've hit the mark of our usual target of 20 minutes so people don't fall asleep listening to Ray like usual. And I believe he's a big hit now for people with sleep disorders. Basically, Ray is the new solution. But thanks very much, Peter, for joining us today. It's always a pleasure. And Ray, thank you for turning up. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you.